Welcome to the Qualitalks Podcast, a show about pharma and GMP. The pharmaceutical industry is a fascinating and complex field, and it takes countless people to bring a product to the market. In this podcast, we bring you some of the industry's brightest minds who will share their wisdom with you. You will learn about various subjects such as GMP, new trends in pharma, and leadership. And now, please welcome your host, Jan Kugel. Welcome to the Qualitex Podcast. I'm Jan Kugel, and today we are honored to have Tun Lambrecht as our guest at our podcast. So Tun is a self-proclaimed biotech nerd with an impressive background in the field of advanced cell and gene therapies. And in this episode, we'll dive into Tun's passion for democratizing access to these life-changing therapies and explore his work as a co-founder of MyCellHub, a SaaS solution for biomanufacturing. We'll also discuss the current state of data management and documentation practices in GMP environment and the challenges they pose for the industry. Plus, we'll explore how MyCell's Hub Toolkit is revolutionizing the biomanufacturing process by improving quality compliance and production time. Finally, we'll shift gears towards Tune's thoughts on the ever-evolving pharma industry amidst global events such as COVID-19. How will digitalization impact data integrity and what role it will play in shaping the future of pharmaceuticals? So, uh, Tune, welcome to the uh, Qualitex podcast. How are you doing today? Hello, Jan. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Great. So on your LinkedIn page, you proclaim yourself as a biotech nerd. So can you uh, tell me a bit uh, about your background and how you became a biotech enthusiast and why do you call yourself like uh, this way? Sure, sure. Uh, well, like yeah, told us already in your nice intro, um, I'm the co-founder of my setup. I have a bioengineering background from the University of Leuven in Belgium. And I did quite some research during my PhD on the large scale manufacturing of cell therapy. So that, that's a bit my, my, uh, my biotech background. And to be honest, I don't remember exactly what triggered my interest in biotech, to be honest. But um, I, I do suddenly well, no, it's not suddenly. It was more like this realization that creeped upon me where I had like, whoa, isn't it scary that, you know, um, after a couple of billions of years of random evolution, um, that today, basically after maybe, I don't know, 50, let's say 100 years of research, that we as the human species can now direct our own evolution. And I... I had this realization and it kind of creeped upon me that I was like, okay, I, I want to be part of this uh, biotech revolution, basically. And then somehow I, more by accident, to be honest, I, I stumbled upon an internship in a, in a company developing a novel bioreactor for a certain cell therapy. And, and then when I, I, I realized there that, okay, you can actually make a living working on these type of cool biotech projects. And, and since then, honestly, I was just hooked. And um, I've been in biotech since uh, the beginning of my career, and I probably will be there by the end of my career. So what have you been do doing in the biotech uh, when you started? Um, when I started, well, I, I started as a PhD researcher, 
um, working in the lab of Frank Leuten, who was a co-founder of Digenix. Um, and then I moved into this uh, internship at uh, Octane Biomedical, which was a not a research, but more like an engineering developing internship uh, for a couple of months uh, to develop a novel bioreactor. And then um, I went back to university and there I did a big project again in the same lab. And basically there I realized, okay, there's there's so much data to be to be gathered. Um, let's do something with this data. And, and um, that's how I rolled from the biotech into more the software plus biotech side. Um, so I, that's that's a little bit how I, how I came to to today. Got it. So that's um, a good career path, I would say, to where you're at right now. So you're also talking about democratizing access to uh, advanced cell and gene therapies. So mm -hmm. what does it mean exactly? Uh, democratizing such uh, uh, therapies and. Uh, what really motivates you uh, to do it? So it's probably connected to what you already explained. And um, I get it that you, uh, that uh, everything that you talked about is part of your motivation. Uh, but this democratizing, uh, this specific word is often used. And yeah. it's very interesting to understand what you mean by that and what you're really doing uh, to achieve this goal. It's a bit of a hype word, I, I, I agree. Um, but I think we came a very long way already with treating a lot of diseases in the last decennias. Um, but there's still a couple of very nasty ones out there that are currently untreatable. Um, but also, for example, more widespread, these common diseases like uh, diabetes, for example, we have treatments for it and they are okay. Uh, but we don't really cure the patient. And so for me, these cell and gene technologies uh, or therapies, they hold a massive potential to cure some of the untreatable diseases. Um, also, let's say stuff like um, chemotherapy, they're so broad, but so unprecise that I really believe that there's a lot of um, you know, we can, there's a lot of things to be gained from more personalizing certain cancer therapies, um, uh, just to make sure that the life of the patient is improving during the treatment, but also have less side effects after the treatment. And so these advanced therapies, they're so, so great. Um, and we see spectacular results in clinical trials, for example, and more and more of these therapies are making it to the market, like probably every couple of months you see a new announcement, either a new therapy or at least a new uh, disease uh, that, that we can treat with the same therapy. But many of these advanced therapies, think of cell therapies, gene therapies, they come at a price that, well, almost no one can afford. Um, and as a the utopian idea, but I really do like to believe at least that the work we do uh, on, for example, streamlining the manufacturing of these products in a way contributes to making the access to these life-saving therapies accessible uh, or more possible. And in that way, democratizing it for, you know, having access, not just for 
the rich and few people that have access to it, but let's say uh, for every patient that needs them. That's the goal. Right. So it's a quite a noble goal because uh, I do also believe that uh, personalized therapies, gene therapies are the future because this is probably the way to uh, to cure really complicated diseases uh, like cancer because mm-hmm. each person is different, each cancer is a bit different and uh, we know that chemotherapy and uh, even targeted medicine doesn't always work uh, for all and if you can treat yeah. it on the gene basis you can achieve amazing uh, amazing things uh, so it's... Well on the gene or on the cell yeah. basis indeed I think there's so many side effects of this more uh, let's say chemotherapy it's kind of you know it's a it's a broad range therapy. It's like um, wide spectrum antibiotics. It would be way better and way uh, in a way better for the patient and all the long-term side effects of chemotherapy that we can very precisely just target the cancer cells and you know leave all the other cells out of, of the out of the question. Exactly, and. Um... You talked about your background in engineering and your vision to, for uh, uh, these kinds of uh, therapies. And the interesting thing, you co-founded a company called uh, Myself Hub, which is more uh, less on um, concentrated on uh, research and development. It helps uh, manufacturers uh, to do things uh, more efficiently, right? So uh, how, t- how did you get to it? How did you connect uh, uh, you know, your background in bioengineering and uh, for this? So what, what reasons did you see to uh, create such a tool? Um, yeah, it goes back to my PhD research um, where I was working in a lab that was developing um, cell therapy to treat very large bone defects. And it was an autologous therapy, so a personalized therapy, meaning that there is a lot of patient-related information. Um, and let's say every uh, manufacturing process for every single patient had to be monitored very carefully. We were not treating patients uh, at that time. It was more in the process development phase. But the lab generated so much data um, and of course you're there with we were I think a group of 40 uh, researchers at that time and there's so much data collecting and piling up uh, it made it quite difficult to access the data from someone else because we were using paper lab notebooks for example um, and so um, to get access to historic data of PhD researchers before my time I had to go through lab notebooks and I was like doubting the quality of the data because I didn't have enough, uh, let's say, metadata surrounding Mm -hmm. the data. I didn't know how it was collected, basically. And so in my spare time during my, the little spare time I had during my uh, PhD research, I was building uh, a platform to basically manage my own data and the data of my peers in in the lab. Um, And yeah, the project was together with uh, Paul Life Sciences and Terumo BCT at that time. And then we were discussing the data, um, those people from the industry, as a researcher, I was like, yeah, that's the industry. They were saying, um, okay, interesting data, but the platform you're using there, that that is cool. Like some of the high-tech, biotech customers that we have, they don't manage their data in such an advanced way. And 
basically that for me made the click where I was like, okay, it's easier probably to get this software on the market than the cell therapy that I was working on uh, together with the whole research lab. And that's how the, the idea was brewing in my mind. Um, I had a, one of my co-founders, Sebastien, who onboarded, and also Thomas, uh, another co-founder who onboarded during that time. And we were basically developing the first version within the university. Uh, it was kind of incubated within the university for two years, more or less. And then when it grew a bit too big for it, we uh, spun out all the IP from the university. And um, we we um, we started my setup. I think that, well, yeah, that was in 2019. Um, so it's really a, a university project that kind of got into uh, commercial commercial biotech manufacturing. Right. So one usually says that uh, the best solutions are the best uh, products come from personal need right so that was, it, yeah that was really true things. yeah right so you came from the university from academia to the and shifted to the pharmaceutical industry to serve the pharmaceutical industry and from my personal experience coming from academia to pharma it's like two different worlds and now you yes. come to pharma from academia to help uh, the pharma to deal with data and uh, how do you um, so what were your uh, um, impressions of uh, how pharma deals with documentation so in pharma then you need to shift towards GMP so in your uh, mm -hmm. thoughts what are the current state of data management and documentation practices in GMP environments and what challenges do you see there for your fresh eyes when you look at it um it's it's an interesting question and we we actually did have a bit of a learning curve to bring the platform from the R&D to the pharma and biomanufacturing uh, level let's say so it's two different things on the other hand talking to the biopharma companies even today um 80% of all manufacturers still use paper to document processes that they execute in their cleanroom which is kind of crazy if you think about it. Um, they're literally re-engineering life um, as we know it, but they use technologies that is there for hundreds of years, just papers and pens um, in the clean room to document what they're doing. And I mean, what is the status of, of data management was the question. It's very paper-based still today. Um, and the fact that it's paper-based also means that there's quite some manual work being done, like um, noting down expiry dates of the products you use. Uh, you note them down by hand on paper. Um, also some calculations sometimes that are done, I don't know, maybe for some in cell and gene therapies, there's just quite some manual operations. So maybe some dilutions or cell count. Quite often we see that the calculations related to that are still done manually. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of conflicting. You have at the one side, you have this rudimentary paper-based workflows. And on the other hand, there's this cutting edge, high-tech biotech uh, work going on, which is very strange to see. Um, and yeah, for me, that, that was a conflict. I was like, okay, we, we can solve this. Um, it, it should be solvable.
Right. So how does uh, Myself Hub uh, try uh, to solve uh, uh, this situation? So maybe you can uh, give, you know, talk a bit about uh, what is the Myself Hub toolkit is so uh, people understand what uh, we are actually talking about and then maybe you can shed some light about your vision on how this uh, uh, toolkit can uh, make a difference in the manufacturing bioprocesses and uh, specifically how can it help in regard to compliance and uh, you know help in production okay so well my setup is a software platform and the goal of the platform is to get rid of every single piece of paper in the cleanroom. Um, we do electronic batch recording, for example, which is literally recording every single step that happens in the manufacturing process. But we also have modules uh, for inventory management. We know exactly in the electronic batch record which materials have been used, which equipments have been used during manufacturing. So we use that information to make a very smart inventory management tool and an equipment management tool. And um, another module that we have is more, um, basically you want to know that the clean room you're working in is clean. And so we have a clean room cleaning module um, that plans all the cleaning tasks and also tracks the execution of it um, together with all the environmental monitoring workflows like the viable particle counts and stuff like this uh, to, to streamline those clean room operations. So that is myself in short. Um, maybe Jan, you, you will have to repeat the second part right. of your question. <laughs> yeah, so how, um, you know, so what is the vision for, uh, you know, for uh, the tool? So I under, so you're quite a young startup, right? So, uh, and uh, uh, you have a, gr a good solution that uh, you have some vision to it, uh, to expand, probably, uh, you know, revolutionize uh, the way things are done a bit uh, and helping the production and uh, uh, compliance. Uh, so how can it, how does it uh, connect together? So as you mentioned, you know, it's a learning curve for you to deal with the compliance and uh, probably learn about, okay, now I need to validate my system. I cannot just put it in. I need uh, to combine mm -hmm. it with the systems uh, that uh, the manufacturer is using right now. So how does it yeah. work for you? What are the challenges yeah. there? I, I think it's a funny choice of words when you say revolutionize, because revolutionize and pharma and GMP, it doesn't go well together. But basically, <laughs> the, main, the main goals of the platform are, well, obviously, there's a time savings of working on paper. You don't have to, uh, sorry, on, on a digital system. You don't have to copy uh, data that you collected manually into the ERP system and stuff like this. Um, but the main vision of the platform is actually that we prevent and reduce manufacturing errors by providing, um, you know, more interactive work instructions for the operation operators in the clean room. Um, we can better guide them through the processes, either manufacturing or cleaning, whatever. We make sure that they collect the data at the right time in the right format. They are reminded of stuff like. Um, signing off certain signatures. Um, it's impossible in our platform to skip fields if you want. I mean, if you don't want a field to be skipped, um, the platform kind of actively reminds the operators of, you know, properly executing the process, but also documenting it in the right way 
of course, since it's digital, we can use some smart tricks, like uh, we can use the camera of the tablet on which they record the processes for barcode scanning or taking videos or pictures to prove that what you've done is correct. Um, so, so it's time savings and then the reduction of manufacturing errors or process errors. But then also this guidance, it, it, it basically makes sure that your processes and your operation remain in compliance like, more effortlessly. I mean, you don't have to necessarily check every single page to see, oh, is the signature there? Is everything filled out? Uh, are there are there fields that are empty? No, the, the platform will like, actively warn you. So th those for me are the, the, the main revolutionizing things even though it is it is you know it's 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 not rocket science um right so it's support it it supports it changes the way people uh, document basically so uh, does it work exactly. on uh, on a tablet so do you have uh, basically yeah. the Generally... to take a, a tablet with them into the into the rooms and instead of documenting in paper uh, you fill the information inside uh, the tool yeah, more or less. It's a mobile app, so it works on your phone, it works on a tablet, it works on a computer. But generally, in a clean room, tablets are the easiest to you know to bring in. They're fairly easy to clean. Um, um, so yeah, it, it, it works on a tablet. Yeah. Right. So yeah, welcome uh, to the twentieth century, right, <laughs> for the pharma <laughs> industry. <laughs> yeah, but that's of course the first step, right? I mean. Um, that's the first transition you have to make. But I mean, we, we are in pharma and, and, and like you said, everything has to be compliant. So of course we make sure that all the IQOQ documentation is there, 21 CFR 11 compliance is there, audit trails, backups and so on. Once that is there, then we can start to revolutionize. And that is where it starts to become interesting. Once you have your data in a central location, you know, you can start thinking about data analytics. You can start thinking also about automation uh, in a way more integrated way. And so let's first solve the, you know, get rid of the 80% of manufacturers that still manufacture on paper. That's the first step and make them digital. And then of course, once you're digital, you know, you open up a whole new um, realm of possibilities to be honest. So of course we can revolutionize, but since it's GMP, we have to go step by step. Step by step, exactly. So, pharma is conservative, right? So that's uh, what we are talking about, right? You cannot, uh, as uh, you know, uh, click a switch and uh, click a button and uh, everything changes. So let's talk a bit about the challenges of uh, implementing uh, such solutions. So not uh, only myself have, but you know, any mm -hmm. digital solution. Um, yeah. from experience, a lot of people who work many years, uh, they have a tendency for to uh, not want to change, right? So they resist change. So do you feel also when you come to different uh, uh, manufacturing floors or to different companies and you get the resistance, uh, not that they sell, okay, you know what, the, the, the tool is, uh, you know, we don't need it, but the question is why? Right, so the question is, uh, what resistance do you feel, and who does it come from? From management, from people on the floor? Uh, what is your uh, feeling on that? Yeah, I think the why of the tool is almost um, for with every person in the facilities. Let's say that we speak is quite clear. It's more the why now. 
Um, why would we switch to a digital system now? It's more the question we have to deal with. Some people are like, yeah, paper works. It's going to be a lot of work to, to make it digital. In some cases, I do agree, paper does work. Um, but think of, um, I don't know, more high volume manufacturing or personalized therapies, for example, where every single patient has its own batch record and you have to go through the paperwork for every single patient. It's just not scalable. Um, so especially in those cases, of course, the why of adopting these digital tools, and I'm just talking about digital tools in general, not just myself, it's quite often clear. Um, there is some resistance um, sometimes in terms of the the fear of, how do I say, like a software project. People are a bit scared of, yeah, it's going to take us two years to implement and then another year to validate. I think because they had bad experiences with, and I won't say names, but let's say large software providers, uh, more a consultancy, big projects that, that just, you know, have scopes that expand, timelines that expand. Um, so what we do see is that tools like myself um, that are a bit more off the shelf and very specialized, for example, for cell and gene therapy manufacturing or clean room cleaning, um, but that cover, let's say, the whole spectrum of paper-based operations in a clean room where you can implement module by module more in some kind of off-the-shelf way that are pre-validated at least to a certain extent, um, that that is the way to go. And that is helping, let's say, the decision makers to overcome the feeling of, okay, this is going to be a massive project and we don't have, you know, we, we won't, when we start, we won't know when it will end, basically. Um, so that is something that, that we that we feel a lot. So people really need strict timelines and software development is not known for these uh, strict timelines. Um, but by offering off-the-shelf, pre-made, but easy configurable tools, uh, we believe we can overcome some of those objections uh, quite, quite easily. And those objections, uh, where do you feel they're mostly coming from? So is it from quality, other departments? So who do you feel is yeah, conservative there? It really depends. It really, really depends. Like sometimes it's the IT department that is more afraid, for example, of the uptime of the system. Since, for example, we work in the cloud, but even the uptime of, let's say, your internal tools, if the Wi-Fi goes down, you don't have access to it. So that's, for example, something we, we see uh, from the IT department. Uh, from the quality department, it's probably more on um, who has access to the data, what is in the audit trail. Um, and then maybe from more the C-level department is the, the costs, of course. Uh, the, the return on investment has to be there. And maybe sometimes in manufacturing, we see that like clean room cleaning, environmental monitoring, no one is super scared of having the data in the cloud, but there's still some people that have some reluctance in putting their, let's say their manufacturing IP in the cloud. I think obviously an on-premise um, um, installation has its own risks. Uh, it's not like it's, a, it's pro there's pros and cons, but obviously with the, with, you know, with the new, the new technologies, there's quite some tools to mitigate this, the, all these risks. Um, but we, we have to talk to every level in the organization, overcome all their 
hurdles or how do I say objections, um, but every level has its own um, its own topics of interest. I would say. Right. So you mentioned that um, the one of the biggest objections and the, the the reason for them is why now, right? So do you use different uh, analytical tools such as uh, you know cost of quality and um, uh, to show okay you're using paper you know how many deviations do you get because people miss you know write something by mistake yeah. they wrong uh, they write the, the wrong numbers or they input the exactly. wrong information they forget something so do you have some analytics or some uh, data that uh, can uh, you know help general uh, you know, mm-hmm. in general, people who want to g- digitize and they want to come to their apartment and say, okay, we need to use the uh, tool X, Y. Uh, so do you have some data yeah. that collects, okay, if you come from paper to some digital tool, how much does it save us? Yeah, um, we have some use cases um, from customers that we worked with. Um, I remember one use case for um electronic batch recording where we save up to 80% of the time spent on documentation, which is significant. And let's also face it, it's it's the most boring work of, of you know, working in a GMP facility. Um, I was at Bio in Boston last week where, where I spoke with a, a person and he told me that they have around 10 deviations just in clean room cleaning operations alone. And he calculated with his team that every deviation costed the, the, yeah, the organization between 10 to 20,000 euros. So probably with a digital tool, we won't be able to get rid of 10 out of 10 deviations. But even if we can get rid of, you know, 70% of the deviations, that's, that's a significant saving. Um, so we indeed help with you know, quantifying the return on investment based on, uh, yeah, indeed, prevention of errors. It's one of the, the biggest drivers, time savings. Um, and then also, there's quite some hidden costs of paper that people kind of take for granted. Uh, but in GMP, you have to keep your paper batch record or paperwork basically for 10 years. It depends a bit on, on where you are and what data it is. But so there's quite some costs linked to, you know, like this type of Iron Mountain facilities, for example, where you either store everything or you have to scan it and upload it. These costs people don't don't account for. Um, and also the, I would say the logistics related to paperwork, like printing it off, printing it on clean room paper, sterilizing the clean room paper, bringing the clean room paper through the airlocks into the clean room. It takes a couple of hours in some cases. Um, those logistics, People are so used to them in a way, but they take so much time. Uh, and it's the, that's the type of stuff we help our prospective customers to help quantify, to, to make it yeah, a more, well, to make a more quantifiable business case, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a really, really good point. So when you think about it, when you work with paper, which you said uh, before, it works, right? But uh, uh, you know, the cost of uh, issues with paper. So let's even talk about, you know, uh, signing documents and having different people having to sign it and the uh, documents get lost and uh, mm-hmm. or they get destroyed. You, then yeah. you have deviations. And then uh, 
you need to archive them and many companies don't have the space so they outsource it to a, yeah. to a subcontractor it's cost so much money right and uh, dealing it with the uh, in the clean room so uh, yeah so pharma for yeah. sure should head to you know a full uh, digitalization and uh, i'm really happy to see many companies uh, try to uh, you know to go in this direction uh, through different uh, you know eqms and uh, solutions mm -hmm. such yourself and so we are heading in into uh, to a good direction so hopefully we will uh, also uh, get there and uh, um, so how long is uh, Mysel Hub uh, on the market? So when did you start this? So is it pre-corona time or was it afterwards? Yeah, um, let's say within the university, we are. I was working on it together with my co-founders full-time since 2016. And then we became independent of the university in 2019. Um, there was this learning curve. Um, to get from the R&D level to the to the, 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 the GMP level. So we took more or less one year to get all the paperwork and, you know, 21 CFR 11 compliance in, in order. So commercially available since 2020, 2021, I would say. Right. And uh, through your journey, so it uh, did take place during the, the COVID uh, pandemic. So, mm -hmm. so we know that... Uh, a lot of um, things change in the world in terms of technology. So a lot of uh, businesses that were offline, they really quickly switched to online and um, many new solutions just popped uh, out like mushrooms. So do you feel, uh, uh, you know, from your perspective, do you see it happening also in pharma in some way? Did pharma also, uh, you know, got impacted by this uh, uh, digitalization uh, storm? Yeah, in a way, yes, I think. Um, we talked about briefly about the cloud and some hesitance of going, you know, in the cloud. I really have the feeling when I was talking to customers or pro prospective customers, like, yeah, it's a cloud application. In 2019, there was more hesitance. Right now, people are used to having you know, SharePoints, whatever, shared documents and so on, and being able to access everything from their home. So putting everything online is less of a hurdle. Um, so that has changed. Also, of course, the work from home, like we're, well, we're doing now, uh, it will not go away. And you cannot, ex like talking again a, a little bit about the logistics of the paperwork, you cannot expect QA people, let's say, to come into the office just to find a pile of paperwork on their desk, <laughs> review it. <laughs> you know, it, it makes no sense. You you want to be able to do that wherever you are. Um, so this having central access to the data becomes more important. Like, and it it, it will grow. Um, let's say the the new generation uh, of people coming on the job market they probably never learned how to write properly. I mean, they, their, their whole life, um, they've been writing on, on tablets and computers. Forcing them to work on paper will be demotivating. They, they you know, we, we, we have to make the switch. Um, and so the adoption of the, you know, the, these digital technologies, it's, it's slow in pharma, but it will come. Um, 
I mean, we feel it and it's going faster and faster and faster. We're a bit behind on other industries as always in a way, um, but it will, it will come for sure. Great. So it's good to, to hear that. And uh, I agree 100%, right? So the, every time new generations can name, they, they're already born with uh, smartphones in their hands. So uh, you know, <laughs> change is imminent. So my four years old is, uh, uh, you know, she's already knows uh, better than uh, my mother how to operate the, the smartphone. So, yeah. <laughs> so uh, do you have anything else uh, to add that uh, you, you think it's important uh, to share that we didn't discuss yet? Yeah, maybe maybe one thing um, where I believe that's important, you know, as an industry to think about is the interoperability of systems. Um, there is probably not a one-size-fits-all solution at the moment, so it's going to be important that platforms like ours, you know, work together with other platforms and that we're open also to collaborate as an industry there to make sure that, you know, our platform can talk to the inventory management system or the ERP system or the quality management system. Uh, not only software, by the way, but also more and more with the hardware. Um, and so that that's really something I think as a let's say as an industry that we should we should look at um, and make sure that that is possible and that it's also um, not only technically possible but it's also validatable in a way um, to make sure that everything is properly properly um, set up for a GMP environment. Right. So this is a very valid and, uh, and very good point. You know, uh, uh, software providers should start cooperating more with each other and giving uh, access to APIs and, uh, you know, just yes. uh, allowing the exchange of information because that way uh, you can actually create a fully automated uh, processes. And exactly. um, so that, that's a, a great vision on that. Perfect. So Tun, thank you very much uh, for... Um, coming to the show and talking to me and uh, sharing your uh, your experiences, points of view on... Uh, Thank you, Jan. It was a pleasure. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Qualitalks podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star review. If you want to learn more about GMP, please visit us at www.qualistory.com. Stay compliant and see you at the next one.